Welcome to the Hormone Lifestyle Zone. I'm your host, Meg Ricicci, and this podcast series is about demystifying women's hormonal issues and struggles and everything that dances in between. And the title of today's podcast, How Does Thyroid, Nutrition, and Lifestyle Factors Influence a Woman's Fertility? I am over the moon. I'm super delighted to have as a guest on my show today, Dr. Brittany Henderson. She is a functional medicine endocrinologist that specializes in thyroid issues. She's a medical director of the Charleston Thyroid Center in South Carolina. She's also the author of What You Must Know About Hashimoto's Disease, Restoring Thyroid Health Through Traditional and Complementary Medicine. She is also a dear colleague and friend. I must reach out to her probably one to two times a week with text messages about clients, and she's always there to answer questions. So I had reached out to Brittany a couple of weeks ago, and I asked her, what do you want to talk about? What's a topic of interest? And the most obvious one that I didn't think of was fertility, because many of the clients that I refer to her are struggling with fertility issues. So I'm really thrilled about today's podcast because Brittany sent me a whole slew of questions regarding thyroid and ranging from preconception to looking at a healthy BMI, what is the optimal TSH, what should we be looking at a thyroid during pregnancy and the postpartum period. This is going to be a really great deep dive into the nitty gritty of thyroid and fertility. And Brittany, without further ado, welcome on to the Hormone Lifestyle Zone. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate this. Oh, good. Well, you put together, I was really impressed. I wish many of my clients who put together that many questions. So I think the first thing that I'd like to ask you, what percentage of women that you see in your practice are struggling with fertility and underlying thyroid issues? That's a really good question. So, I mean, I see patients anywhere from the age of eight all the way up. Right. A majority of our patients are between about 20 to 40 years old. So in that mm-hmm. fertility kind of window, and of those patients, I would say, you know, at least 20 to 30 percent um, have had fertility issues and or are struggling with getting pregnant. And a lot of this is thyroid mediated, but a lot of it is also autoimmune mediated, too. So when we're talking about autoimmune, we're talking about gut. We are also. talking about the GI system. Yes, we're talking about the entire microbiome. We're talking about inflammatory cascades that are activated in the body, and all of that goes into whether or not a woman can get pregnant. There's a lot that goes into this. So I think, you know, you're kind of an expert in diet nutrition in the preconception period. So, I mean, love to hear your thoughts on that. What I love about working with you, and and I really do mean this, you are an incredible endocrinologist and probably one of the finest I've ever worked with. And it's a joy because you look at root cause. And it's and that's what I'm look, looking at. You know, it's funny, the term root cause goes back to my early training in Chinese medicine, which is like 28 years ago. And now it's become a mainstream term in functional medicine. And it's looking at what is the foundation? What are causing these issues? And I think a great place for us to start is looking at preconception. And what I find, and please jump in at any point, yeah. is that for women, preconception for me, 
and we, you and I had uh, discussed this too, is a year prior to trying to have a child. And that gives women that opportunity and couples to take a look at their health, look at their lifestyle choices. It's a time for women, I think, to really give birth to who they are. I love helping women during this time to become good mothers to themselves. Oh, because, I love that. Yeah. And I want them to be good moms to themselves because eventually, you know, I said to women, your babies become my clients and I want you to be the best vessel for that. So giving a couple or giving a woman that year, that 12 month period, and it can be even, I've had some women come in two years prior going, what do I need? What do my husband and I need to do to kind of create a lifestyle shift that'll allow me to ease into having a child. And it's just a natural course of events. And the foundation of that is looking, as you know, at a woman's diet. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, I think the theme this week, and I've done this on Instagram, is looking at protein. And I feel, and we'll go into that a bit, but that preconception period is changing lifestyle habits, looking at how a woman is eating, looking at how can we start eliminating those xenoestrogens, those plastics and the cosmetics and the household cleansers. Absolutely. And, and just starting there, because so many times, and you see this, I'll have women come in three months, a month prior to trying to get pregnant. They haven't even been on folate. Nobody's checked anything. And many of these women, and I'd like to discuss this with you because it's also been on my mind a lot, I'm seeing a lot of low ferritin levels. Yeah. So diet and nutrition, I mean, not only to help with the whole menstrual cycle and, you know, housing the fetus and all of that is really important. Ferritin has to be optimized. You know, iodine status has to be optimized prior to pregnancy. And then in particular with regard to thyroid, you know, a lot of times people don't even think about checking their thyroid in the year or so prior to trying for conception, especially if they have a family history. And a lot of these women, you know, they don't see the primary doctor that often. They're 20 years old, 30 years old. They're otherwise pretty healthy. But if there's a big family history of thyroid disease, that is something to start thinking about. If your mom or your grandmother has thyroid issues and you haven't been diagnosed you know, and you're planning for a pregnancy in the next year, maybe think about at least getting a TSH, if not a full thyroid panel prior to trying. And there are really important reasons for that. That has to be perfect going into a trial for pregnancy because number one, you know, a lot of these patients, like we said, deal with infertility. And some of that, a lot of that is from thyroid hormone not being optimized. And there's an increased risk for miscarriage if the TSH is not optimized. So I was thinking about this earlier this morning. Is there a difference between optimal TSH for women while they're trying to conceive as opposed to the general population? So I would say no, because I use like an ideal TSH range of 0 0.5 to 2. I mean, if you have a TSH check and you're above two and you're in your 20s, then there's something that we need to look at a little bit closer, whether that's, you know, an underlying autoimmune thyroid disease like Hashimoto's disease or whether it's just nutrient deficiency. So I see a lot of women who have iodine deficiency and their thyroid levels are not optimized. And going into pregnancy, I mean, you need a lot more iodine than 
when you're not pregnant. And the reason for that is because during pregnancy, the thyroid actually starts pumping out more thyroid hormone. It increases in volume by about 10%. And, you know, you need it for fetal growth and, and for the baby's thyroid to actually work optimally and in lactation after pregnancy. I mean, you need, you know, normal iodines, about 150 micrograms daily. And when you're pregnant, 250 micrograms a day is the recommended iodine intake. And if you're already going into pregnancy and you're deficient, then that's going to affect your fertility and the ability for the fetus to grow normally as well. So question, how do you check iodine levels? So iodine is funny. So I have a lot of people that ask for serum iodine, and that doesn't make a lot of sense because if you ate, you know, a high iodine food, if you had sushi or if you had iodized salt, your iodine is going to peak in your bloodstream, but then it's going to be pulled into the cells. So the better way to check iodine, the gold standard way, is a 24-hour urine iodine. I don't do that a lot, but I at least do a, a spot urine iodine with some patients and you're looking for that to be above 150 on the lab. But even just getting a history, if you don't eat a lot of salt, if you don't have a lot of egg yolk, if you don't eat a lot of seafood that comes from the ocean, not from fresh water, mm -hmm. or if you're vegan or vegetarian, you are at a much higher risk to be iodine deficient going into a pregnancy. So do you feel that should be a standard test? I mean, I think at least a clinical history on nutrition and what people are eating should be a standard test. Yes. Yeah. And, and I've said to people, before you start upping your iodine, you need to get tested. So here's another question. And it involves mercury because mercury can also mimic iodine, correct? Or it impacts thyroid function. It does. So if you have excess mercury exposure, whether it's through fish or mercury fillings or, you know, some other exposure, it can elevate particular antibodies if you have Hashimoto's disease. So it's associated with an elevation in something called thyroglobulin antibodies. And obviously, mercury and other heavy metals are not good for human health. They drive autoimmunity. They drive inflammation. And whenever you have baseline inflammation, it really does affect fertility. It affects a woman's weight. It affects, you know, fatigue and energy, and it affects the menstrual cycle too. And what is the best way to check test for mercury? So, I mean, my thought on that would be a urine, um, heavy metal. You can do it provoked or non-provoked. The provoked testing sometimes uncovers more mercury exposure or the other way that you can be exposed to mercury is through inks from tattoos, which is interesting, especially red ink. Wow. Did not know that. So oh my tattoo ink has okay. a ton of heavy metal, arsenic, right. mercury, you know, lots of different things. So making sure that if you do have tattoos that you think about heavy metals as well. Wow. So the reason I ask this is about the, the mercury because I'm thinking of a few clients and their docs have only done serum on their mercury levels. And my concern is that they're elevated. Yeah. Serum mercury is just like iodine. It's not going to be high unless you, you have like an acute exposure and you check and the next day. And that's kind of scary. Right. Okay. Great. Oh, these are good questions. I'm so glad you answered this. You know, something else I wanted to mention, we can talk about this. A lot of, I say to women and couples, when they're trying preconception, part of that is, you know, your eggs go on this incredible 90-day journey before they're selected for that cycle. 
that when you're trying to conceive and get pregnant. So everything you do 90 days, 120 days prior has incredible impact. So you want to make sure that your thyroid is balanced. And I know how you are. You are just so, you're like a little Nazi. You have to get it perfect. It's you're true. Really, you will do, you will have people test and you will, and we'll go into the compounding and you will get the perfect thyroid compound. I've never met anyone like that. I mean, it changed my life. And that's one of the reasons I love you so much because you really turned my life around. I was feeling quite awful for the longest time. And you tweaked my thyroid over a period of months and we, we got it to a really great level. But getting back, this is why for so many couples, detoxing is efficient. Checking for heavy metals, again, making sure that thyroid and ferritin, ferritin is important in the conversion of, as you know, T4 to T3. But I have to say, Brittany, in my practice, I would say a majority of women have low ferritin. And the more I'm seeing is that healthy ferritin is like at 100, 110, not 70, not 80. I've had women where once they hit that point, everything changed, but that takes time and you have to test along the way before they reach that optimal level. Absolutely. And ferritin, for everyone listening, if you don't know, that is a reflection of the storage of iron in your body. It's not actually like the iron floating around in your bloodstream. It's not as bioavailable as that is. But, you know, there are a lot of people with normal iron levels and no anemia or anything like that who have very low ferritin levels. And that just means you you have a very poor storage of iron. That's really, really important for a lot of things. You know, people have hair loss when their um, ferritin is low. They have fatigue. And then especially for thyroid, it's really important in getting T4 into cells. And T4 is inactive thyroid hormone. When it gets into a cell, it converts to T3, which is active thyroid hormone. And we're talking about every cell in the body, but in particular for fertility, you know, we're talking about the ovary. We're talking about the endometrium. We're talking about female reproductive system. We're talking about brain so getting, you know, your thyroid hormone into cells for the cells to actually convert it to T3 and use it is really important. And ferritin is a big part of that. Nutrition is a big part of that. Yes. And, and I want to, and also a lot of symptoms of low ferritin mimic thyroid, the fatigue, the loss of hair. So I think the two go hand in hand and not making this about myself, but my ferritin was low and I reached out to you and you, we, we tested my thyroid and it was optimal. Once I started taking iron, I take hemogenics by Metagenics. I think it's incredibly bioavailable. It's made such a difference. Wow. Yeah. It's really made such a difference. It has a huge impact. Yeah. So I will get tested and monitor those levels. But this bell went off in my head. I said, I think my ferritin's off. And it was at 47 back in December. So I don't know. For me, I'm athletic. Who knows? Variety of reasons. Yeah. And your your thyroid levels looked good in your bloodstream. Yes. But if your ferritin was too low, you were actually not utilizing it in your brain and in your tissue like you should have been. Yes. And I feel really good. Yay. So, yay. This is important stuff. Nobody talks about this. I know, you know I know. No one talks about thyroid and, and looking at ferritin and looking at heavy metals and the proper way of testing for it and looking at that your, you know, the sperm and follicles, you can enhance egg quality 
by changing your diet. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the preconception period should be treated, you know, just like, you know, where you're trying to get pregnant or, or you when, are you, pregnant. when you are pregnant. I right. mean, this is a huge, very, very important time period to get everything right so that mm-hmm. you aren't faced with a miscarriage, so that you're not faced with years of infertility. And I think it should be talked about a lot more than it is. Yeah. And again, I feel that taking a year to kind of hit the pause button and say, what can I change in my life that prepares me to become a parent? I say to people, if you were to train for the New York City Marathon, would you go out tomorrow morning and do a 23-mile run? No. You would train for it. I don't know if it's a good analogy. I like it because I like working out. But you want to make sure that you're covering all your bases. So you take that year, you start changing how you sleep. You start changing your eating habits. Many women skip breakfast or they go long periods of time without eating. And we've talked about this. And this is like it shunts stress hormones as cortisol and progesterone or shunting progesterone down stress pathways and shunting nutrients away from a reproductive cycle. So teaching women about how to eat well. I get really excited about empowering women to make healthy lifestyle choices, make healthy dietary choices. And I feel if we can start showing, at least what I do is teaching women how to eat, and I can go into that in a bit, cleaning up the gut. And then lately, I have sent people over to you that I was very suspicious of thyroid, but had really stubborn SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And um, should we kind of talk about this? Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the microbiome. Yes, the microbiome. So why in the heck would the microbiome in the gut be important for fertility? That is just kind of far-fetched, it seems like, right? Like, why would you care? I mean, I get nutrition. You need nutrients. You actually need, you know, all of these things to actually have a healthy pregnancy. But why does the gut matter? So the microbiome, that is the bacteria that lines your intestinal wall. Everybody has one. You know, you're at the moment of birth, you're inoculated through the vaginal canal with your original microbiome. And then if you breastfeed versus if if you bottle feed, that changes things. If you're exposed to antibiotics throughout your life, that changes your microbiome. If you have infections or if you get like the stomach bug or, you know, if you eat something that's bad. Or oral contraceptives. Or oral contraceptives, huge. And a lot of people obviously, you know, in the preconception period are coming off oral contraceptives. There's a whole thing about that, but yes, it changes your gut microbiome as well. And interestingly, about 70 to 80% of your uh, immune cells are actually behind the gut wall. So if your gut microbiome is not perfect going into a pregnancy, you're going to have inflammation that can drive, in my realm of the world, that can drive thyroid autoimmunity and worsened antibodies. And there's a lot of data, and we can go into that, about how antibodies affect pregnancy and fertility and, and pregnancy outcomes. But you know, getting that perfect is really important. The other part of this is SIBO. So SIBO is something called small intestinal bacterial overgrowth syndrome. It's really, really common, particularly in people who have Hashimoto's or hypothyroidism. And that is because 
you know, when you're hypothyroid, one of the symptoms for hypothyroidism is constipation. Whenever you have decreased bowel motility, whether it be from hypothyroidism or just constipation in general, you can get an overgrowth of bacteria in the small intestine, and that can make the whole process worse. It can contribute to inflammation and everything else, but it can also upregulate a enzyme in the gut that actually helps recirculate estrogens and causes Beta something called correct yeah. and it's it contributes to something called estrogen excess or estrogen dominance which messes <laughs> up the entire <laughs> it messes up the entire menstrual cycle so it not only contributes to you know breast tenderness and weight gain around the hips and thighs and but it can alter the woman's cycle and it can yes. um, really contribute to difficulties with fertility yeah and really good probiotic to help in the reduction of beta-glucuronidase is lactobacillus and bifidobacterium. And also what helps with that is cruciferous vegetables. Absolutely. Broccoli. And broccoli, Brussels sprouts. We love that stuff. Yeah, it's amazing how everything comes back to the gut, to diet, and the microbiome. Absolutely. I mean, it's so important to get that right. And a baby's health is a reflection of a mother's microbiome. I've seen women for three generations, grandma had constipation, mom had constipation, baby has constipation. Everybody had gut issues along the way. So to maybe be the first generation that can really shift the quality of the microbiome, which is 70 to 80% of the immune system, is profound. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I always tell patients all the time, you know, we always look at blood testing for your thyroid. We always look at urine testing. We never look at the gut microbiome. We never look at stool quality. That is so yeah. important. I mean, that mm -hmm. is where it all starts. So, yeah. It's, it's huge. It's one of the reasons why some women have difficulty in losing weight. So can we talk about thyroid antibodies in relationship to gut and, you know, the three triggers, uh, the three factors that trigger autoimmune issues, that genetic predisposition? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm jumping the head. You know, talk about the environmental issues and the intestinal permeability. Yeah, absolutely. Lock it all in. So, I mean, whenever we're looking at somebody with Hashimoto's or Graves' disease, which are the autoimmune processes that drive hypothyroidism or hyperthyroidism, we always think about, you know, what could be the underlying cause that's continuing to drive autoimmunity. One of those major things is, you know, something going on in the gut microbiome that's contributing to continued inflammation. And inflammation drives autoimmunity. Autoimmunity drives inflammation. So if you have activation of your immune system in the GI tract because of bad guy bacteria growing there, that is going to not help us with regard to the, the antibodies. When we actually figure out what's going on and we treat it, then a lot of times we will see inflammation fall within the, the body and also subsequent decrease in antibody status. So yeah, so genetic predisposition, we see families all the time with thyroid issues. And I always tell people, you know, if you have a very strong family history in the female people in your family, then check your girls. When they turn 10 years old, start checking their antibodies because it's way better to actually find it early before it's completely destroyed the thyroid and do these lifestyle interventions. Look at 
diet, nutrition, look at the gut microbiome, figure out if there's something there that's causing systemic inflammation that we can change. And then, you know, the progression of continued inflammation in the GI system and altered microbiome is leaky gut syndrome. And leaky gut syndrome is, you know, opening of these tight junctions within the gut lumen and the immune system kind of coming out and causing this whole inflammatory response. It contributes to food sensitivities. It contributes to lots more GI symptoms and more systemic inflammation because now you're being exposed to a ton of food antigens and, you know, chemicals and other things. And all of that drives systemic inflammation that can manifest as headache, that can manifest as migraine, it can manifest as joint pain and muscle pain. Anxiety, depression. All of it. Yeah. And so, you know, we very often see leaky gut syndrome as a progression of an altered microbiome, and that really drives thyroid autoimmunity as well. Yeah, you know, when I work with women, when I've kind of changed my approach in the past few years. I would have women come in and put them on a detox right away. But for women, sometimes making that 180, it's important to teach women how to eat right. What does a healthy diet look like? Actually, if they're eating healthy, and I can share what I share with my clients, they're already starting to detox. So then when I can establish that these women feel comfortable in the way that they're eating, then I can put them on a detox program. I always look at SIBO first and constipation and make sure they're on digestive enzymes. I mean, that all of that is crucial. But to do that really heavy-duty detox, teaching women how to eat so they understand when they do the detox, one, it's not so drastic. And two, and I usually try to do that within the first month or two. I, it depends on the person. And then I'll do a cleanse, which will really help to, it lowers thyroid antibodies. I mean, there are many things. Absolutely. So inflammation. So what do you tell patients? Like for people listening who have thyroid autoimmunity, what is the best diet for them to do in the preconception period? I believe in placing people on an anti-inflammatory diet. I think, believe it or not, it's what we are wired. It's what our DNA requires. It requests. Our DNA recognizes organic grass-fed pastured meat, cold water fish, green vegetables, seeds, nuts, berries, All good. real food. Yes. I, and people are like, well, what do I have to do? And it's like, no, it's not about a keto diet. It's not about this, and we could do a whole show on this, this intermittent fasting where women are like, no, I'm going to just eat my meals in eight hours. You can't do that when you're trying to get pregnant. That's a stressor on your system. So what I do, and I think part of it is because I had a background having an eating disorder and working with awesome nutritionists over the years to just teach me to eat whole food. It changed my brain chemistry. And a big part of that, and, and part of that is, you know, cutting out the gluten and the processed foods. And I do food sensitivity testing. Sometimes I'll wait a couple of weeks because I, I, I think they're going to be reacting to everything. But I think food sensitivity testing it can be incredibly profound. But what I find that is missing with so many women is they don't eat enough protein. Interesting. Yes. Protein is crucial. We've demonized protein. So 
in my world, it's one gram of protein for every lean pound of weight. So if somebody weighs, I'm making this up because it's easier for me, 120 pounds, if they're 120, then and if that person has 20 pounds, uh, their BMI is 20%, which I like higher when they're getting pregnant, but I'm doing it for math. You'd eat 100 grams of protein. And if a woman is overweight, I have to amp up their protein because usually many of these women have sarcopenia. They have all this excess body fat, which we can, now we'll go into BMI, is this excess body fat, which also can contribute to infertility, but they don't have enough lean mass. Absolutely. So you're not going to just get it from beans. Beans are high in carbs and for many people, inflammatory. Mm -hmm. So I ask people, I'd say, hey, listen, if you really want to get on board, let's start your day with a stewy chicken turkey soup with a ton of vegetables. I have this, you know, circle that I look at that I have people, I drew this circle, I will not do a computer version of it. And I have everyone put it on the refrigerator so they can <laughs> see it. And I think that's where my BFA came in handy. And half that plate, 50% of that plate is greens. We should be eating two to three cups of greens with each meal, not once a day. Absolutely. We don't have enough fiber. And the kind of carbs I like, I look at like sweet potato, yucca, orange squash, beets, rutabaga, parsnips, minimize the gluten-free grains, but a ton of greens, and then protein, like the size of the palm of your hand, four to six ounces. Your body kind of knows, and when you get enough protein, and this is the first thing I notice with, with women within one to two weeks, they stop craving sugar. Interesting. So it, because it satiates you. Mm-hmm. And it helps drive your insulin down too. I was just going to say that. Oh, we're on the same page. <laughs> yes. And it helps drive down insulin. And that is huge. And people think, oh my God, I'm eating too much protein. No, you're not. And as women get older, they need more protein up to 40 to 50 grams with a meal. We're talking about women in their 50s and 60s and 70s. We want to keep that muscle integrity. That's what I'm all about at this time in my life, just staying very strong and healthy. Yeah. The, I mean, the whole aging process, as women get older, I mean, we just, our fat mass goes up and our yep. muscle mass goes down. Goes and, down. Yeah. you know, that's now in, like, it's, if you look on, on what's considered normal as you age, that's like the normal, which isn't normal. I mean, no, that's not just normal. the aging Normal doesn't mean healthy. Correct. The <laughs> normal just means what the most of the population most looks of, like. Yeah. And right now, seven, what, three quarters of the population is overweight. So let's talk about BMI. One of the things that I see in my practice is that a lot of the women are teetering on a low BMI. That means body fat. And they're teetering at 18, 19. And I say to women, you know what? Let's get you in the low 20s to 25%. Mm -hmm. Low 20s is great. Yeah. I mean, I think a healthy BMI is really important going into a pregnancy. Yes. But even at a healthy BMI, you know, you can have extra fat mass and low muscle mass and that no. messes up. No, and that's the, what I was getting. Right. The cycle. That's Yes. And that, and, and again, excess, yes. And, and if BMI, if a lot of women that are coming in to see me and they have a BMI of 40, 45%, I have to have that drop because they run the risk of, as you know, uh, complications during pregnancy, miscarriage, preeclampsia, gestational diabetes. Mm -hmm. So that is why taking a year 
to kind of like, how do I create a healthy BMI, a healthy body composition? Am I working out? What kind of workouts am I doing? Is that nourishing me? Mm-hmm. What am I doing in terms of stress? What can I do dietarily? Would it make sense to work with a nutritional coach like myself that can guide people in making those healthy changes and working with someone like you? And you're very rare to optimize thyroid because thyroid is such an issue. Low selenium and low zinc and iodine. And these things are also dietary. We're mm-hmm. not getting enough in in our diets, in our soil, our soil's depleted. And then also, I mean, with the BMI- And healthy like, fats. I and healthy that. fats, absolutely. Yeah. But with your BMI, I mean, don't stop there. Like also look at your fat percentage. I mean, if you can get that fat percentage less than 30% for a female, then you're going to be so much better with regard to your cycle and with fertility and decreasing your risk for gestational diabetes and all of these complications that come with a pregnancy. I mean, a pregnancy is a big deal. It's a big medical it's deal. Huge. And I, I've seen women in IVF that, that have come to see me and they've had like three failed IVF cycles. I said, did anyone recommend to you to work on your weight? Let's let's change your body composition. Mm-hmm. Let's get you in a healthy BMI. You know, I know I, we're saying the same thing, but this is a big problem. It goes at, to both ends of the spectrum. I have a lot of uh, women that come in and they're struggling with disordered eating issues. You know, well, the same thing goes for that too. I mean, you have to have enough mm-hmm. body fat to actually have a normal yes. cycle. Yes, yes, yes. And they're just teetering in the thought of gaining weight. It's like, no, this is to maintain a, to hold a healthy pregnancy. So I really, my guidelines, eat real food (laughs) and eat real food, eat protein. We, again, we have demonized protein. I say to people, every meal, get protein in. If you, you know, if you want something more plant-based, look at lentils or some type of beans for one of your meals. It depends on the person. Some people do not do well with beans at Mm -hmm. all. It's inflammatory. They just don't digest it. So I'm, you know, fish, cold water fish, you know, get your mercury levels, Jen. (laughs) Eat lower um, mercury fish. Eat lower mercury. Eat the little things. Yes. Sardines. I always say to clients with a smile on my face because I hate them so, I'm like, oh, do you like sardines? And some of them will go, yes. And I'm like, awesome. (laughs) They're high in essential fatty acids. And they look at me and some of them are like, that's like cat food. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but I needed to ask. So I wish I did. My brothers, when I was little, my brother Frank and John, it's all their fault. We, I used to go fishing with them. I have six brothers. Oh. And they would, I loved fish until I saw them blow them up with firecrackers. I couldn't eat fish for like 15 years. Now oh, I know why people no. do, can't eat meat and chicken if they've lived on a farm oh. and they're slaughtered. <laughs> oh, so gosh. they would blow fish up with firecrackers. And after that, I just, they don't, I don't even know if they know this. I just, I couldn't eat fish for the longest time. <laughs> I think I did tuna fish in the can. That was about it. So another thing too about eating right, you don't need a ton of supplements when you yeah. do that. Yeah. A really good prenatal. I love... I love Metagenics Plus One Prenatal. It was designed by a mother and daughter team, an OBGYN, and her daughter is this incredible nutritionist, and their names are escaping me. And they developed this wonderful prenatal with like 16 to 
100 micrograms or 1,700 micrograms of, of folate, methylated folate. It's high in choline. So many prenatal vitamins don't have enough choline in them. Absolutely. And it's really important. I mean, a yes. prenatal is not the same as another prenatal. So what you're saying no. is perfect. I love that prenatal as well. You yeah. know, you have to know that it has certain elements and it has to be the right amount of that element. So yes. really, really think about your prenatal vitamin as well. Yes. And I say to people, if you're going to invest in two things during your pregnancy, an incredible prenatal and a really good probiotic. Absolutely. Because again, probiotics, preconception during pregnancy, during nursing is important to the integrity of your child's immune system and gut. Absolutely. And, and it also affects, you know, in when you're trying for pregnancy, a really good probiotic also affects the vaginal microbiome. I forgot to go into that. Yes, I'm, and I'm, I'm a big, I, I, I recommend, and I'm sure you do too, I put women on a vaginal probiotic to support the microbiome. It's, it's important. And so many women, so many women have a history of UTIs and vaginitis that have been on birth control. And so it's, I sometimes do a, a combination of, of probiotics. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, that's really important. What do you want to talk about in thyroid that's really not explored? I mean, we talked about the gut, the influence of the, on the menstrual cycle, ovulation. Yeah. So ovulation. Uh, luteal phase, you know, uh, defect. Let's talk about that. So, I mean, I always tell patients, you know, thyroid hormone has to be absolutely perfect. And what you said previously, when I'm really, really strict about what's your TSH, what's your T4, what's your T3, it's for a reason. It's not just because I'm really strict about it. It's, you know, that all has to be exactly perfect. And the medicine has to be delivered in a way that's exactly perfect for it not to influence your female cycle and for it to optimize the female cycle. So, estrogens affected, your progesterone's affected, your LH spike for ovulation is affected by your thyroid. Thyroid actually when it's off, you know, 50 to 68% of the time I think uh, causes irregular cycles. So that has to be perfect in order for you to ovulate um, at the correct time and for the cycle length to be perfect. And you can learn a lot about your thyroid by just looking at your menstrual cycle. So that is a big part of why we are so strict going into a pregnancy. I always tell patients, you know, if you get a positive test, pregnancy test, I should probably be the second person that you tell outside of your partner because I need to really look and make sure everything looks perfect because in that first 10 weeks of gestation, the fetus does not have its own thyroid. It is relying 100% on your thyroid medicine to be perfect for development to take can place you, normally. Can you say that one more time? <laughs> so, I mean, fetus, no thyroid for the first 10 weeks of gestation. Thyroid levels, your TSH, your T4, your T3 has to be perfect in order for development to take place normally and to prevent early miscarriage. That's our biggest concern in that first 10 weeks of pregnancy. And the most important test, believe it or not, in that panel is your free T4. That test is what crosses the placenta and helps the baby with growth. And so the T3, you know, that's more for you as the mother. It's helpful for your growth and your comfort level and your energy level, but also really important 
for T3 to be good for delivery and, you know, the, the uterus is a muscle. So T3 is really important in muscle contraction. All of that has to be perfect in order for the delivery to go well. But the T4, especially in early gestation, is super important. So regarding thyroid medication, and I think we could do, I have uh, two questions in one. I've had women, once they were pregnant, I said, let's check your thyroid again. And then their thyroid, just their TSH keeps going up. Yes. And I've almost had to battle for them to get into the their OBGYN and just like, you have to adjust the meds. They're going to have a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. Also, I've heard a few things, and I would love you to comment on this, that women should only get T4 or Synthroid, for example, as opposed to Armour during uh, pregnancy. That's a huge question, yes. In the OBGYN world, I get a lot of people for that. So the reason that there's a question of whether or not to do levothyroxine or Synthroid, which is T4 only, versus Armour or NatureThroid, which is T4, T3 combination, natural desiccated thyroid from a pig, is because usually the natural desiccated thyroid is not dosed correctly. If you have somebody who is dosing it correctly, it is most likely completely fine during pregnancy. There are not randomized controlled double-blind you know, trials on NDT, natural desiccated thyroid in pregnancy. But if it's dosed right, it it's fine as long as TSH is right, T4 is right, and T3 is right. I will say that with NDT, the T4 to T3 ratio is that of a pig. So T4 is always a little bit too low and T3 is always a little bit higher than if you were just on T4 alone. And like I said before, T4 is the most important hormone for the fetus. And so you need to make sure that that level is good. So a lot of times I'll actually put people on a combination. I'll put them on Synthroid and NDT. Ask. Yeah. yeah. And you also want that T3 not to peak so high when you're on Nature Thread or Armor because if it does, it can influence um, fetal growth. And that's the major thing that we're really working towards is to make sure the fetus is growing normally throughout pregnancy. If you're too hyperthyroid on your medicine, the fetus may not grow as readily. If you're hypothyroid, the fetus may grow too big. You're at more at a risk for gestational diabetes. You're at more of a risk for hypertension and uh, preeclampsia as well. So it has to be perfect. That is the overall theme. So do you feel that... Anyone who's pregnant on thyroid medication should be seeing an endocrinologist? Absolutely. I think as opposed to their OBGYN? I mean, if their OBGYN is amazing at thyroid titration, great. I don't know, but I, I would say, you know, not every endocrinologist is great at thyroid hormone titration either. Well, this is the problem. It that is you the, have the to problem. open up offices or just I hope, and I've, Brittany has talked about this, and, and I'm going to kind of uh, go off on a little sidebar. I really do hope that you start teaching physicians yeah. how, to do how, it. To, how to do it because there's not enough of you to go around. It's, it's not really enough important. peanut butter to make that sandwich. <laughs> so it is important. And I will, I have to say it on the show. I hope you do because you're one of the smartest endocrinologists I know. You really understand this science so well. It's not just about looking at numbers. You have a way of looking at numbers where it tells you a story. It and does. you look at the story. And that's what I feel is a really good practitioner. What is the story with this person? 
How is this influencing different aspects of their health and their hormones? And you get that. And I can look at, you know, two or three different people. They could have the exact same thyroid panel and I do something different. And it's it's how you interpret the med- – like, it's true. It's a story of how to actually – like, how is this actually working? What is it influencing? What symptoms are people having? But, you know, everything has to be titrated correctly. In my practice for pregnant women, we see them every six weeks or so, every six to eight weeks, because as you go, your thyroid medicine has to go up typically. It goes up probably by about 150% of your original starting dose. That is because of weight gain during pregnancy, but also because there's some play with the placental hormones that drive you to require more thyroid hormone. In somebody who doesn't have a thyroid condition, your, your thyroid pumps out, you know, about 50% higher, you know, thyroid hormone as you progress. So you have to keep up with that demand for the fetus to grow normally. So here's a good question. And I think many women who are pregnant on thyroid medication will appreciate this. What are some tips and tricks on how to take thyroid medicine during the first trimester? Sometimes it's a second with the nausea and vomiting. So what what do you suggest? So we have to get it down because like we said, the first 10 weeks, the fetus doesn't have a thyroid. It really depends on that pill getting into your system. And when you take thyroid medicine, it is not immediately absorbed. You know, I tell people wait two hours from food and other medicine because the medicine has to go from your mouth to your stomach down to your small intestine to the distal portion of your small intestine, sit there and be 100% absorbed. And that's a big deal if you're sick and you have morning sickness and you're like need to get something in your stomach. So my easy kind of thing is if you are nauseous and if you throw up within an hour of taking the medicine, take it again because you didn't get the full absorption. And why don't you, you know, change your way of doing things and take your thyroid medicine at bedtime, take your prenatals in the morning time because you can take those with food. And then, you know, by the end of the day, hopefully be less sick and be able to tolerate the medicine. That's great. I think this may be one of the most important things in this podcast. Let's talk about when to take thyroid meds because I'm most people, I just don't think there's enough time. I myself, because of you, I take, like, I had to get up at six today and I took it at four o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. I have lots of people that do that. And actually in the middle of the night, it's it's great. If you get up to use the restroom, take it then. You don't have to like worry about your coffee, which interferes with it. Your creamer interferes with it. Soy products interfere. Everything interferes with thyroid hormone. You know, So if you can take it in the middle of the night when you're not eating or taking anything else, then you have all night long to absorb the medicine. But it really depends on the type of formulation that you're taking. So for example, if you're on natural desiccated thyroid, it has active thyroid hormone in it. It's not that great to take it at bedtime because it's going to affect your sleep. But if you took it in the middle of the night, that's different. That could work. So I have people that take it in the middle of the night, first thing in the morning and they wait at bedtime, in the middle of the day in between meals, you know, if, if you have some time that you can consistently take it. And it doesn't always have to be exactly the same time every day. It can be a couple hours off. It's more important to space it. Okay. What about iron? And thyroid medication, because that's, I have someone right now and I told her to call you because she's anemic. I mean, her ferritin levels are super low. Mm -hmm. 
And during pregnancy, we see that a lot of iron deficiency. Yes. yes. So making sure iron is optimized throughout the entire pregnancy, especially if you have a thyroid condition, is really important. It not only helps it to get into your cells, but it helps, you know, crossing the placenta again with, with fetal growth. So I always tell patients, you know, if it's a heavy metal like iron, calcium, for example, also is the same thing. Yeah. It should be at least four hours from your thyroid medicine. So whether that's, I always say opposite end of the day, because then it's way far apart, but at least four hours from the medicine. Okay. okay. Yeah. I thought this was interesting. What about during the postpartum period you had here? What do I need to worry about after delivery? Does thyroid hormone concentrate in breast milk. So what do you want to talk about the postpartum, post-birth in regards to thyroid meds? So postpartum. So number one, you know, as you, well, when you deliver, you lose the baby weight, obviously, because uh, you delivered. But also if you're breastfeeding, you're going to lose weight pretty effectively. And your thyroid medicine will need to be titrated down. So, you know, when you deliver, sometimes I, I have a plan going into that where I say, okay, decrease your medicine by this percentage. Let's start on this. And then I want to see you again in four to six weeks to repeat those levels. And again, it has to be perfect, not only for the mom's, you know, symptoms, but also for lactation. If you're hyperthyroid or hypothyroid, it affects milk quantity. And that's really important to get right for mothers to be able to breastfeed. If you're on a ton of thyroid medicine and you're really hyper you know, that thyroid hormone does cross into the breast milk at a low concentration. But if you're in, on too much medicine, it could also stunt growth of the baby um, in the first couple of months. So you're going to want to make sure that thyroid is optimized in the postpartum period as well. Also, for whatever reason, postpartum, we see a lot of autoimmunity come up. Yes, I was going to ask you about that. So postpartum thyroiditis is something that I warn a lot of my Hashimoto's patients about. And what that is, you know, you've spent nine months in this pregnant state and pregnancy as a state is a very unique immunologic state. It's a majority of natural killer cells and T cells are suppressed. It's not that it's a suppressed state, but really you're not actively surveilling as much as you would be if you weren't pregnant because your body is trying to tolerate the fetus. After delivery, that reverses completely. And so a lot of times we see autoimmunity pop up in the postpartum period. And I would say, you know, when I'm doing a history for new patients with Hashimoto's disease, at least 30 to 50% of them have had it in the postpartum period. So it's a big time to be watching for dramatic weight loss or dramatic weight gain or difficulty with weight loss for hyperthyroid symptoms, shakiness, you know, heart racing symptoms, that kind of thing. Anxiety and depression, postpartum depression absolutely can be thyroid mediated yes. if there's yes. autoimmunity yeah. involved. Yeah. So we're really, really looking for not just the thyroid to be optimized, but for antibodies to not pop back up into this hyper or hypothyroid range. So what can, I'm going to ask on your end, if you're seeing an elevation of antibodies, would you also be looking at these women to have them work with somebody nutritionally? Absolutely, yes. So the postpartum period is just as important as the yes. preconception period. Absolutely. And it has to be right. And, you know, I don't know that much about how um, pregnancy affects your gut microbiome. Do you know if there have been studies about that? I mean, I know that... I mean, I've seen, you know, women that are nursing babies colicky. Well, it's because 
mom's gut, one, it could be dairy, and, and two, it's just her microbiome is off. I don't have enough information to comment on that, but I'm always about making sure that women are taking probiotics and they're eating foods that will nourish the microbiome. You know, absolutely. And along the same lines of seeing worsening autoimmunity in the postpartum period, I mean, in that same vein, you're going to most likely see worsening gut inflammation if there's altered microbiome or dysbiosis and more symptoms, um, which can cause systemic inflammation, worsening antibodies. So working with the nutrition specialist in that postpartum period is very important. Yeah. I mean, I think the standard American diet, which is void of nutrients, is a contributing factor to part of this. I really do. And, you know, finding a diet that's really nutrient dense and healthy, you know, essential fatty acids and amino acids from proteins and, and vitamins and minerals and all that good stuff from good vegetables. I mean, it, it's profound and, and nuts. Yeah. It's just a web that keeps weaving itself, right? It all it's, comes back it, to it the gut. Comes, it comes back to the gut. Any closing remarks or anything else that like sticks out in your mind that you'd like to talk about right now or anything that we missed? I mean, I would just like to say, you know, if you have a thyroid history or if you have a family history of thyroid disease in your mom or your grandmother, sisters, and you're thinking about pregnancy, do the legwork before um, you try. Uh, really get the diet under control. Get the thyroid hormones optimized. Make sure that you have a full panel. Make sure you're looking even at antibodies in the in the preconception period so that you know going in, you know, is there something that I can do to get this under control to help me prevent issues with fertility, to prevent miscarriage, you know, to prevent all of these growth abnormalities with the fetus or postpartum issues. And really going in wiser and with a plan is really important. It's kind of just like your birth plan. I mean, this should be your preconception plan, diet, nutrition, hormones need to be optimized, sleep needs to be optimized. And this should be a really important focus for women that are trying to get pregnant. Yeah. And, and, and that's why that year period is uh, so crucial. And part of the issue that I see with thyroid is that women are not having a full panel. So when women come in to see me, I usually write out blood tests that also, which we didn't go into, but we have had in the past, vitamin D is something that's never checked. Mm-hmm. And looking at ferritin full, that full thyroid panel. So Brittany, what I will do is on my show notes, I will include your contact information. And I want to thank you so much for being here today. And to my lovely listeners, if you like what you're hearing, why don't you follow me on Instagram at Hormone Lifestyle Zone. I will also include that in the show notes. And I want to thank everyone for listening. If you enjoy what you're hearing and would love to work with me, you can reach me at megrichichi.com. Dot com. I want to thank everyone. I hope you're doing well. Sending you many blessings. Take good care. Wear that mask. Wash your hands. And be good to yourself. Until next time, God bless. Be well.